Hello, everybody. My name is Matt Roberts, and this is the first in a series of podcasts entitled The Great Indoors. This is a podcast series designed to talk about technological advancements in this unprecedented situation and world we're living in right now where we're all indoors and how technology is bridging this gap and hopefully keeping us productive and keeping life going. Joining us from Seattle is Mr. Chetan Sharma. Chetan is the CEO of Chetan Sharma Consulting, an 18-year young management consulting firm and he is an advisor to many CXOs and boards of companies in the wireless industry. There's over 25 years in the industry and has worked with operators on all five continents and has the rare distinction of advising management teams for each of the top nine global mobile operators. Chetan has written 15 books on various topics and his research work has helped shape many strategic decisions and dialogue in the industry. Is a creator of the industry's premier brainstorming summit, the Mobile Future Forward event, which takes place annually in Seattle, which is a great event and something that I've participated in for many years. So welcome, Chetan. Great to have you here today. Thank you, man. Also joining us is a good friend of mine, Mr. Ron Porter. Ron is a product marketing lead from Amdocs Monetization Solutions. He has over 15 years experience in the industry and right now is bridging technology and business operations and applications in the areas of 5G, cloud, IoT, just to name a few. There's an MBA in, in marketing and finance and he's currently at home in Tel Aviv, Israel with his two children enjoying the great indoors like all of us. So, Ron, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm enjoying it mainly because my two children are asleep currently. (laughs) Ah, I know Chatton's at home with two children as well. And let me just put this in as a little bit of a caveat and a disclaimer. If you hear somebody shouting, daddy, daddy, and screaming, that's because I have four small children uh, literally above my head upstairs and uh, at any given moment in time, they could burst in and join the podcast. I don't know. It may make it uh, more entertaining, but I'd just like to throw that disclaimer in there before we begin. I think we are living, as I said at the beginning here, in unprecedented and paralleled times. This is a heartbreaking crisis of massive proportions. It really is, I think everyone will agree, a surreal episode of our lives that that everybody is living through right now. It's tough for everybody. And, you know, one of the things that I think course, along with, you know, your grocery supplies and that important supply chain is the communications lifeblood, the communications technology that is allowing us to have some semblance of normality in our lives and let us get on with our lives and interact with each other and be productive and do everything we have to do. This this really is a very strange world we're living in. One of the things we wanted to talk about in this podcast series is giving all these seismic shocks that we're having to not only experience but acclimatize to. How is that looking? What are some of the positive technology uses that we are deploying here? What are the some potential innovations we expect to see more of in the next couple of weeks? How different will the world look when we go back to normal, if indeed there is such a world as normal after what is happening? And will we emerge from this crisis with a new appreciation of technology? And how will that spur innovation, particularly in relation to 5G, which I know Ron is specifically interested in and Chetan does an awful lot of work on as well. I'm going to start with you, Ron. You're at home with two children. What are some of the positive aspects that technology has given you since this crisis began? 
So I think one clear thing I think everybody is mentioning is how different this crisis would would look like even if it was 10 years ago. I mean, if you think of, you know, all of the online options we have to connect, to interact, to, to order. And if you go even further back, if you go 15 years ago, again, we're in a completely new world. The fact that we've come to rely almost on everything while we're in this great indoors, uh, we rely on the connectivity for our entertainment, right? Even if it's not through my TV, through various OTTs. It, for ordering stuff, ordering food to home, ordering the groceries, health checks that are done remotely, even monitoring where infected people have been walking around so I can track if it crosses with my paths. There's various apps that do that, that cross the, the connectivity with my uh, habits. So a lot of that, I think, again, comes with the technologically enhancements we've had. And that's even before mentioning Zoom, which has been the, I hate to say, kind of the outbreaks killer app, I think, all around the world. The one, uh, the one stock that's been rising. So obviously an easy, fluent way to get people to interact, which again, caught everything from education to, to having uh, holidays, right? The upcoming Easter holiday, I'm sure uh, many family meals as well as Passover here will be done through Zoom. So it's really a way for these technological advancements to shine Keeping in mind, when your connectivity isn't stable, they're not worth anything, including this podcast we're doing right now, right? If we don't have the stable connectivity, we're stuck. And I think, I think what it's interesting is, is that this crisis has caused us to adopt. A lot of the things we're doing aren't necessarily new, but we're doing them more and we're using them in different scenarios than we ever used to envisage. And I know whenever I go to Chetan's event in Seattle, there's speculation about what people are going to be doing next and using the technology for. This crisis has, has really made people adopt and, and do things they never thought of. And, and just to throw in some personal you know, examples, you know, my children are doing their education upstairs right now. They're doing yoga classes over Zoom. They're doing art classes. My youngest daughter is singing with her choir class online. So there's, there's this adoption of technology that I, I think is is incredible and it's allowing people to continue. And like you said, Ron, if this had happened 15 years ago, it would have been a very, very, very different indoors that, that we're living in right now. And, and what about you, Chan? What I mean, I know that you've written a, an article recently in, in Fierce Wireless about how the industry has responded to, to COVID-19. But I think that was that was very much how is the technology helping alleviate this crisis right, and solve some of the problems in this crisis? Yeah. And so I think just to build upon what Ron said, I think this point in time will clearly be a demarcation point uh, in the technology as well as consumer behavior uh, landscape uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID. And what we're learning from our daily experiences is that the network, both the wireline and wireless network, have actually held up quite well, and despite the enormous surge that we have seen uh, on the usage front. And so I think we, what we've also seen is acceleration of some of the things that we thought will take some time uh, in terms of how collaboration takes place, how new innovation takes place. And so just starting with video applications and what they might be used for. Iran mentioned Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Google Hangouts, and whatnot. They are essentially a lifeline for, to a lot of the education community as well as corporate customers who are being able to do their daily routine using these technology platforms that require both the networks and the computing platforms. And so I, I would say both cloud and networks have held really well around the globe. 
Other things we have seen is where technology will fundamentally alter how we do things is around data collection. And so how we collect data to do a variety of things. In this case, just having an early warning system using data sensors uh, that are on us is enormously helpful. And so we have seen some early signs using temperature, human body temperature, but we could have other parameters that could give us, you know, two, three week uh, warning of what's coming or, or percolating within a community, as well as better intelligence on what's happening in one geography that can be used to mitigate some of the effects in another geography. And kind of building upon that, um, you know, you see the collection of data, but then very specifically to COVID using cellular technologies to do contact tracing and more specifically automating that process in a way that is not laborious and error prone, which was the case uh, before this. And so uh, researchers and entrepreneurs are coming together to automate uh, contact tracing in a way that facilitates our understanding of how the virus spreads. Furthermore, I think building upon the video platform, acceleration of telemedicine is here to stay. And so not just, um, you know, a phone call, but a, a video chat with your physician and uh, probably taking some real-time uh, measurements uh, that informs the opinion is going to become a central way of how we might do medicine going forward. I will probably even go further in saying that hospitals will become data centers and will start to measure most of the normally physical data points that we go into the hospital for uh, remotely using just sensors on our body. Another thing that has become very clear is the optimization of supply chain and movement. Clearly, the Western world was designed for just-in-time supply chain, and that part uh, didn't really fare well. And so now we have to figure out how to distribute the supply chain in a way that when the surge comes for demand, then we are able to meet those demands. And so I think there are a number of areas where the network and technology and connections have held well. And it also points to what's coming and what's going to get accelerated in the next two to three years. So I think there's some really interesting points that you raised there, Chan. And I think that's, you know, when we talk about what we're doing now and what we see and what's essentially been happening, we're moving forward a, a, a little bit, but how much of this is permanent versus temporary? I spoke with my doctor the other week. We did a WhatsApp chat. I had my blood pressure monitor here and I took my heart rate on my watch and everything. And, and it was the same experience that I would pretty much get if I actually went to the doctor's office. So that, that seemed a logical thing to continue doing once this crisis is over. But how much of this stuff is permanent. How different will the world be from where we were a month ago uh, when this crisis finally ends? I think some things are fundamentally altered and are likely to stay permanent. I think the notion that we can be quite productive in a distributed fashion, working from our homes, is likely to stay here. Though we are social animals and we want to interact with other human beings, I do think this period, uh, an unfortunate time period, has shown us that we're likely to see much more distribution of multiple things so that there are no single points of failure in both social structures, technology structures, technology networks, and so on and so forth. So I think the shift from centralized to distributed is, I think, a permanent one. The notion that I think we have gotten comfortable with telemedicine, we have gotten comfortable with uh, collecting data on our bodies to provide information to uh, the physician. We have gotten very accustomed to uh, entertainment when we are at home. We are probably also getting accustomed to the trade-offs between data 
and what good it can do and privacy. And it's an ongoing debate, but I think that will continue. And I think some of the things that will probably accelerate are things like autonomous vehicles for delivery, drone delivery, or use of drones, uh, 3D manufacturing. As we have seen, a lot of people have used their 3D printers for manufacturing masks and whatnot. I think the use of 3D manufacturing uh, in a distributed fashion will become a thing. Online learning, I think the education model of the last month or so has shown that you can be effective in a distributed education environment. And so probably the entry of VR into education is, is likely. And the way the education system works is likely to change, meaning that you can have many more students participate uh, rather than being physically present on a campus. It's amazing the adaptation of the, the technology, and we've discussed a lot of the amazing things people are doing. But how much of this is permanence, Chatham? How much of when we go back to a supposed normal world, how much of this will become permanent and become, if you will, the new normal? So I think it's a, it's a great question, and some of it is uh, we are still learning. But I think one thing is clear that you know human behavior change that generally takes uh, many years has been compacted, that change has been compacted within a month or two. Consumers have learned to adapt and adopt new technologies at a much more feverish pace. Pretty much everybody understands how the collaborative video environment works, uh, either with Zoom or Teams or Google Hangout. And I think that part is permanent. And so it's likely that the education system for schools, for doing lessons, uh, for music, dance, uh, will permanently change. Uh, it might bring in some new business models on how classes are taught, how people attend universities, and so on and so forth. Uh, it will also change entertainment, shared entertainment uh, with friends and families across uh, geographies. I think it will change our perception of commerce. One-click ordering will accelerate across uh, vast geographies because that's what we have become accustomed to now. And some of the acceleration will take place in, in healthcare, with telemedicine, data collection and monitoring, surveillance, as well as perhaps a more distributed architecture of the internet, both on the fixed side as well as the wireless side, even though centralized cloud and our networks have stood the test thus far. I think a more distributed architecture will help it go to the next step. And then some acceleration around things like smart robotics, 3D printing, autonomous vehicles, and, and whatnot will be accelerated as well. So I do feel some of the consumer behavior uh, forced by this uh, pandemic are, are permanent, uh, and we are likely to build upon that. Now, one of the big, I mean, one of the big things in, in North America, for sure, is 5G. 5G, of course, is a huge area. When we talk about data and we've talked about misinformation, the, the 5G hoax that has been on the internet this weekend uh, is just mind-numbing. It's just ridiculous, you know, that false information about 5G, but we're not going to go there because it's all proven, proven out to be a load of rubbish. But one of the things we've talked about and speculated about literally for the last two or three years is what would be the killer 5G App. What would be the innovations that come out of 5G when the networks are finally rolled out across the world? And we've speculated. We, we've speculated at every event we've been to. We've talked about it and, and, and we've mentioned some of those things. Now, still, it's fair to say in North America, fixed wireless is still the only real commercial 5G use case out there. And Ron, I'm going to ask you, what 5G use cases do you think are going to be most prevalent 
And then the second part of that question, and this can be to Chetan and Ron, is how many of those use cases will be accelerated because of the great indoors where we're living now? And how many new things that we haven't speculated on before could become apparent? So, Ron, over to you. What are the big 5G use cases that we think the service providers and consumers and enterprises will will utilize when all of that is live? So, first of all, you know, that's the question that keeps repeating, right? Even before the COVID crisis started, everyone, like you mentioned, what is the 5G killer app? You know, I'm, I'm being asked that a lot. But honestly, if I had the answer, I'd probably be out working on that app, right? Because <laughs> I'd be wanting to, to monetize on that myself. And I think it's hard to pinpoint down to a specific app because once again, especially if you look at the last two weeks, the last four weeks, the transitioning to, to how we've been doing things, you see this massive change that is happening. Um, and it, it ties into what Chetan just talked about. You know, are things going to be permanent or some of them change? And, and once again, ties into what Chetan just talked about on finding the new balance and the new way of life, right? If we're going to have more remote type of health interactions and we'll need a better or more unique type of connectivity for that, uh, that's one area, right? All of that maybe uh, new types of gaming or VR, AR interactions. If you think of you know, the next generation of Zoom or other multi-participant video applications, but now taking them to an AR or a VR uh, level, maybe that's one of what's going to become extremely popular in some places where people will be stuck at home for longer. They'll want to really see their uh, relatives or see their teacher in a more realistic environment. And if we go back for a second to, to the network to support it, I think even today, if you have families with two, three, four kids, adolescents, often even that the home broadband will not be able to support all these requirements, right? One of someone's on the Wi-Fi watching a, a movie on Netflix, somebody else is trying to make a meeting. This is an example of my niece. And she noticed that when the other members of the family are utilizing the Wi-Fi at home and the connectivity, she can't, you know, do a, a proper session. There's, uh, it keeps on being uh, interruptions. So, you know, consider if we had a good, stable, ubiquitous 5G connectivity, she might choose to get off the home connectivity onto a 5G network. Because again, one of the major promises of, of 5G is the dynamic nature and the ability to adapt the network performance to the needs even of a specific application. And that ties in also to the distributed architecture that Chetan mentioned, right? We may be able to start putting different pieces in different locations. So this whole dynamic nature is going to probably enable a very wide range of use cases. And I'm thinking that once the the first use case starts to open up this door, this world of possibilities, many more will pop on and gain more and more popularity. But I think what you're saying there, Ron, and I think it's a really interesting point. I think one of the things we've always been looking for is the next Uber, right? Or the next, which was obviously the, many would argue, the poster app of the 4G revolution. So we've been looking you know, what, what's going to be the thing for 5G? Maybe the, your point there, Ron, is that this new wave of adoption, this new wave of doing things digitally, in this instance, at home, 5G will just help carry that burden, right? With the extra bandwidth, the lower latency, uh, the more devices that can be connected economically to the network, 5G will help with that burden. We're going to see more of what we're doing right now on 5G. That's pretty much what you're saying there and how 5G will help make that the new norm. Yes, I believe. And again, I think the main thing is is being able to adapt the network performance 
from many different aspects, not just the, the volume, right, or the throughput, the number of connected devices, the availability at specific locations. So many, many different aspects that aren't part of the network performance that you are delivering today, right? It's not something that you are putting in the package. But once now it's part, I can tailor that and can bring on the partner with it. Again, this brings the service provider also to a much better position, a much more important position, right? Because it's not like Zoom today or Netflix when 4G came out or Uber that didn't really care on the underlying connectivity. You know, we will have a new family of apps that need a specific latency or a specific number of connected devices or a specific location or specific edge resources. And the list goes on and on. And the service provider connected together with the partner now bring a real compelling, uh, you know, futuristic experience that everyone is looking for. Yeah, cool. And chatting, anything to add to that? And there's, a, there's another technology I'm going to throw in there, but I just want to close off on the 5G piece. Ram summarizes really well. I think it's uh, initially for the first uh, year or two, it'll be just carrying uh, the burden that the current network is doing and taking on. But we'll start to expand into other areas and start using other technologies. So instead of just video, we'll start doing VR. Instead of just doing uh, commerce, we will probably start using more robotics to aid commerce and things like that, both in factories as well as interacting with consumers. So more of what we are doing today, plus enhancement through new and emerging technologies. Another technology that we are focused on heavily are taking this particular industry to is the cloud. We started this podcast with the notion that if this had happened 15 years ago, it would have been a bad situation. Has the fact that cloud exists and the agility, has that helped us in this crisis? Has cloud become much more prominent and more important as a result of what we're seeing right now? Absolutely. I think without a centralized cloud, not only would it have been difficult to operate a lot of the current applications, video notwithstanding, but also people have been able to spin off new applications for community service, donations, and whatnot in a matter of hours, if not days. And so I think without cloud, all of this would not have been possible. Uh, Even the fact that this podcast is a distributed technology podcast kind of proves that point. And so we are just going to enhance that notion of cloud and go into a more distributed cloud architecture with edge computing. But cloud has been central to our efforts uh, to respond uh, to the pandemic. Matt, just one word to add on that. I think key capability of the cloud on top of what Chant mentioned is also the agility. Again, the fact that these new applications uh, that we mentioned, you know, are able to burst into the market so fast and raise in popularity, you know, reaching probably billions of people in a very short time because they can rely on the scalability of the cloud, right? They don't have to start racking up their own servers and handle the operations. You know, they're free from the infrastructure worries, and that's a key capability because the agility is an important thread along everything we're talking about. This agility, right, enabled by the cloud, enabled by the dynamic 5G network, and also enabled by the service providers' interactions with the customers, right? Bringing new offerings, turning them off, right? Enabling new features, charging in dynamic ways, being flexible at at harsh economic times, right? So all of this agility is crucial end-to-end. That's great. Cheers, Ron. This may be controversial. I don't know. But I'm going to finish with this point and Ron and Chat, and it would be good to get your points here on this. Has this crisis given technology a new look? Is there a new appreciation of this technology that we've talked about before the crisis? And the reason I say this is because obviously we've witnessed all this nonsense about 5G in the press. 
But there's also been in the past, you know, concerns that we spend too much time looking at our screens. We do things more in a virtual fashion when we could be more located physically. Parents worry constantly about their children spending too much time on their tablets and screening too much content. And I think there was an air of negativity around some of the things that we do. Is it fair to say that this crisis has given technology, has improved its image somewhat? I absolutely think it has. I think without the technology in the midst of, you know, whether we are responding to the pandemic on a city-by-city basis or connecting with our friends and family around the globe, there's a new appreciation of technology. People who were not doing video chats and video sessions before have learned how to do it in a much scalable fashion than ever before. And I think there is a realization without this underlying infrastructure and none of this would have been possible. And so I, I do hope the viewpoint of how technology industry has stood up is going to fundamentally alter perception. Wonderful. And Ron, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And again, like you guys said, it changes the perception on screen time. I mean, if my kid is now learning and, you know, he's seven year old, first grader, he's learning lessons that are videos or from a live interaction with the teacher. So that's not really screen time. I'm okay with that. You know, and if he now sees his friends through video calls, right, it's not, I, I for sure, I'd like him to better to run outside. But if it's not possible, it's what we have to make with. And once again, it's about finding this new balance and taking the best of technology. Another example, by the way, is, you know, location-based services that Chatton mentioned earlier in And at least here, we have this app that once you give it permission, it tracks your whereabouts. When there was more flexibility on moving around, it would track where you went. And if that interconnected with known whereabouts of people that have caught the virus, it would give you a warning. So again, in a similar manner, if four people were very reluctant to give up location information because of privacy, if it's done in the right way, and right, of course, the, the privacy, everything is anonymized. And, and you find the right balance to get the benefits, people will adapt. Much like the TV revolution uh, several decades ago, right? When TV came out, many people eyed it as the, the big devil. And I think today it's, it's much more trivial. That's no, brilliant. I'm just going to close with this one sentence. And I, and I want to thank Ron and Chetan for joining us today. I think it's been a great discussion. And I think there's been so much concern in recent years about what smartphones and particularly social media are doing to our way of life. And we are told that our online friends are not our real friends and that there is no substitute for face-to-face content, that staring at screens all day is bad for our health. But I think we'll emerge from this crisis with a new appreciation of these technology tools, social media, big data, tracking, and it can be extremely useful. And I think in this terrible, terrible situation we're facing, even life-saving. So look, I want to thank Ron. I want to thank Chetan. I want to thank you for for joining the podcast today. And uh, stay safe, stay indoors, and most importantly, enjoy the great indoors.